The following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm excited to get into the Word this morning. Now, we've gotten into a, a series here, and I want to uh, continue in that series. I want to share with you a few things uh, that I'm trusting God to show us. If you have the ability to take some notes, I want to encourage that. Uh, I believe writing things down gives you the opportunity to revisit them in your own time. Uh, God is speaking to you uh, in, in your life concerning everything that you have going on. Uh, when you're able to write things down, you can go back to them in your own time. Uh, you can uh, revisit them. You can also share them with others when you encounter other people that are having needs. You can return to those notes and be able to offer encouragement to them. So as we get into the Word today, here's a few things we're going to find. Now, this has been foundational in the series. You've heard this before, and you'll, you'll hear it again. But what's needed in order to resist the devil? I mean, there's some things that God's given us in the Scripture that I think are really worth paying very close attention to, uh, and we'll see what's needed in order to resist the devil. Now, uh, that's not meant to sound spooky. The Bible tells us that we have an enemy and that he desires to bring destruction and all of this, uh, these frustrating and disappointing elements into our lives. But God's equipped us to deal with that. We're going to see in the Word what he's equipped us with. A second thing we're going to find is two questions that need to be asked. Uh, Jesus asked these questions, and, and he, you know, Jesus really doesn't waste time conversationally. He's never just talking just to, to talk or to fill time. Uh, he never achieved some level of, of success or fame and then felt like he kind of had to fake it till he make it, so to speak, situation. I mean, he, he's speaking these things and he's being very specific. And I want to see what those two questions are that he asks so that I can ask them in my own life. Uh, and then a third thing that we're going to find is what Jesus has a monopoly on. I mean, there's something that's in the scripture that we see that Jesus has an absolute monopoly on it, meaning you can't get this without going to Jesus. He's got it all. We're going to see what that is and find out uh, why that's very important for us to understand that uh, by the time we're done with the word here. Uh, I mentioned before we're going to find what's needed to resist the devil. I want to get there uh, first and foremost. If you have your Bible with you, you can open up to Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, that's where we're going to, to begin in the scripture, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, we're going to start somewhere around verse 10. I want to read a little bit and then I'll emphasize a couple of things here out of the book of, of Ephesians. Uh, we're going to find what we need in order to resist the devil. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. It reads like this, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Now we stop there, we pause there when we read this, and I think we ought to pause there again. That's a really powerful statement. I mean, you're seeing a cause and an effect. You're seeing putting on the full armor of God results in the ability to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. The devil has schemes to disrupt your life. I mean, the word talks about the, the, the stealing and the killing and the destroying and all of those things that are of wickedness and evil. But we have the ability to stand firm against those schemes. Now, the writing continues here in verse 12. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness in this world and spiritual wickedness in high places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you'll be able to resist in the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. I want to pause there for a second. We're going to come back and read some more. Now, it's the Apostle Paul that's writing these words, and he's inspired by the Holy Spirit as he's writing these things down. They're now the scripture that we stand upon as God's revealing to us the truth. And he's presenting to us this. In verse 12, when he says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, what he's saying is none of your problems are people problems. Now, a lot of my problems involve people. I mean, almost every one of my problems involve people. Some of you are in the room. I got to be very careful who I make eye contact with right now, right? I'm just joking. But I mean, all of my problems, I mean, I deal with people and there's problems, right? You deal with people. You deal with problems. But what Paul's writing here is none of your problems are, are the person. But yet the, it's the attitude or the spirit that's at work in that relationship that's leading to the problem. So if we deal with all of our problems by dealing with people, then we're never going to accomplish anything. We'll just fight 
We'll, we'll just break fellowship. Well, you go that way, I'll go this way, we're done. We'll never actually get anything resolved, never get anything healed, never get anything accomplished. We need to begin to deal with the things that we do wrestle with. And he writes those things down, those principalities. I mean, these are authority positions, you know, uh, principalities and powers and rulers and uh, those things that are in this world and those things that are in the heavenly places, those things that are spiritual. So we're, we're being equipped to deal with those things so that we can actually have uh, godly effects in our relationships with people. Uh, we, we can come back and, and revisit that some other time, but the point is, is this should be exciting to all of us. We all deal with problems, and we actually want to have real results. So when we see that these real results are going to be uh, the product of responding to God's call to put these things in our life or put on these things that we refer to as the armor of God, I want us to take the time to identify what those elements are. And that's what we've done in this series. Now, I'm back reading here in Ephesians 6, verse 14. Stand firm, therefore, having put on the belt of truth, having put on the the breastplate of righteousness, having covered your feet with the good news of peace. In addition to all, Take up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, we've taken these pieces and we've broken them down. Uh, We we talked about that belt of truth, the need for truth. Now, when you look at these things, you, you can underline what each one of them is. I mean, you have truth, you have righteousness, you have peace. And when you understand what these things are, what we can know based on this scripture is without these things, we cannot resist the evil schemes of our enemy. I mean, these things are a priority. We need to pursue these things. And the wonderful truth is, praise God, Jesus brings all these things into our life. We've talked about about truth and the importance of truth. If we reject the truth, it will be very difficult to stand firm against the schemes of our enemy. We'll be washed away. Right now, truth is under attack. There are all kinds of messages that are not the truth that are being pumped into our homes, whether it's through television, news outlets, social media, you name it. Any element that it can operate through, it's operating through right now. The truth is absolutely necessary, and we need to seek the truth in order to be able to stand firm. Uh, We've talked about righteousness, the importance of righteousness. Now, Jesus brings his perfect righteousness into our lives. When we become believers in the faith to receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we begin to walk not in our own righteousness, but His righteousness. And the results of His righteousness equipping us to walk in the Holy Spirit, empowered to do all the things that God would call us to do. We spoke about peace last week, the importance of peace and the necessity of peace. We've uh, talked about why it's been applied the way it's been applied here in the Scripture. It's not just for good reading. Rather, it's, it's for instruction. It's for a solid example. If you missed last week, you could find it online. Go back and, and revisit that. We talked about why peace would cover your feet. And that's a very important thing to catch. And then now today, we're at this place where, where we're reading in verse 16, in addition to all, I mean, so Paul's going down this list saying, these are things you're going to need in order to resist the devil. And then he says, now then add to it this, in addition to all of this, Now take up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. I want to talk about faith, and I want to talk about how Paul writes about it. I mean, it's interesting to me. I'm a bit of an object lesson guy. I like props and things like that, and I made an attempt to bring some props today and failed to do so. That's going to lead to some conversations when I get home. I was going to borrow some of my son's arrows that they have with their bows and arrows. And, and when I went to ask them, hey, can I borrow a couple of arrows? I was told, well, I don't know where they are. And I'm thinking, well, we need to know where they are. <laughs> uh, hopefully they're not stuck in the neighbor's dog, you know. I mean, I want to know where those arrows are at. So then I thought, I'm going to go look for them. They're leaving now. They don't like for me to talk about them. <laughs> Uh, Well, I want to know where they are, so I'm going to go and look for them. And so I I started walking back to their bedrooms, and I just, I I mean, I heard, no! And I thought, why do you not want me to go into your bedroom? And then they very politely said, 
because you'll mess it up. And I thought, well, that's true. I mean, they have seen how I look for things. I mean, it's kind of like watching a dog dig a hole. Have you ever seen that? And she's just going through stuff, you know. So I decided, you know, the props, we can do without the props today. That'll be okay. But I want you to think about what's being said here. You're, you're seeing this picture painted by the Apostle Paul. He's talking about the shield of faith and then what it does. With the shield of faith, you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. So first of all, I want to talk about this. Before we get into faith, faith is, is, is referred to as the shield that we have in our lives. Now, this is a really interesting thing to me because it, it actually is something that I've had wrong for a long time as it concerns faith. I mean, I grew up in great churches led by great men of God who, who brought the word. It was just a wonderful experience growing up. But I think that I missed something here as it concerns faith. Faith is, is equated as the shield that we walk with. Now, here's what's interesting to me. I want you to just picture for a moment a, a soldier carrying a shield. And put him in a situation where he's using it. He's going out to battle and he's using it. And I mean, it's a wonderful thing just to use your imagination and picture these things in your mind. I want to ask a question. Where is it? Where's the shield? Yeah, it's out in front. It's out in front. I mean, this, this whole element that God has brought into our life in order to uh, uh, equip us to resist the devil is something that is out in front. I mean, really what a shield is, is, is it is a tool in order to prevent injury. It's out in front in order to prevent injury. Now, growing up, shield was something that you, or excuse me, not shield, faith was something that you embraced after you were injured, you know. It was your response to injury. It was like, oh, I've, you know, I've, I've I've been cheated, I've been wounded, I've been rejected, and, and then I would be told that I needed to have faith and those things. And I'm, I mean, think about this. I mean, you wouldn't see somebody injured rush to the hospital and the doctor as they're wheeling the, the patient into the, the trauma wing of the ER say, quick, nurse, get me a shield. You don't use that to respond to injury. It is simply used to prevent injury. And I think if we have the wrong mentality as it concerns faith, then we can misuse that which God's given us in order to be successful in standing firm against all of the, the schemes of our enemy. I want a right understanding of faith. Faith isn't what I call upon when, when all hell has already broken loose. Faith is what is a part of my everyday life to see to it that that which is going on around me does not touch me. That it doesn't enter in and afflict me and cause a, a wound and, and, and open me up, slow me down, take me out of the fight. And then I also see something here that I think is really important to talk about. Those weapons that our enemy uses that the shield of faith is meant to extinguish. It's the reason why I wanted to borrow a couple of my son's arrows. We use the shield of faith in order to prevent being struck by the flaming arrows of, of our enemy, of the evil one. Now, I think this is important to, to catch here. I mean, it requires just a little bit of, of thinking and reading between the lines, but consider that arrow. I mean, if you had an enemy and this enemy wanted to strike you down and, and, and they took that arrow and they, they fired it and they hit you, there's a couple of things to, to consider. I mean, I think it's interesting that Paul didn't write, you know, take up the shield of faith so that you can deflect the sword of the evil one. But an arrow is shot from a distance. You may never even see it coming. I mean, this shield of faith is a part of our everyday life, not because we're anticipating something. Well, today's going to be a rough day. I'm expecting this call, and I have this meeting. Better take my shield of faith. But rather, that shield of faith is a part of my everyday life because I may not even see it coming. I need to make sure this is with me at all times, every day, all the time, in order to prevent being injured. You can begin to see the priority here. And then when you think about that arrow, I mean, it's interesting that that arrow is even animated beyond its, its lethality. It's lit on fire. Now, if I were to take an arrow and I were to fire it and it were to strike its target, it would hit the target and it would take the target out of the fight. But if I light that thing on fire and I draw that arrow back and I release it and it hits its target, now everything that its target touch touches is affected by it. Everything that it touches is set ablaze. 
And I want you to consider this. When you consider how, how you've dealt with conflict and trial and tribulation in the past, and it might cause you to think, you know what? I think that was one of the devil's fiery arrows. I mean, if you were struck by something and then you go and you talk with Sister Susie or, you know, Brother John and all of a sudden now they're ticked off too and then they go and they talk with somebody else and then they're upset too and it just spreads. I mean, Satan is attempting not just to injure you but destroy the entire community. So you can see the importance of the shield of faith. The shield of faith is not just to keep me from being wounded but to keep me from being wounded and then spreading it to you. And then you spreading it to someone else. And in an era of COVID-19, this should, should really kind of ring a bell. But the answer to this isn't any mask or social distancing. The answer to this is walking in the Word of God like we've been called to, carrying with us daily as a part of our life faith, that it might act as a shield, not be a response to injury, but rather be a part of our everyday life in order to see the prevention of injury and the spreading of that injury. So I want to continue in the word here. I want to talk about faith. I want to talk about faith as a priority. I want to give you a passage of scripture. As if that wasn't enough to make us desire faith, I want to give it to you here in the scripture as a priority. There's not a single person in the room here who wouldn't say they wouldn't want to live their life in such a way that God would be pleased. I'll give you a passage of scripture here out of Hebrews. Hebrews 11 verse 6. Hebrews 11 verse 6, it reads like this, Without faith... It is impossible to please God. The one that comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. I mean, the, the measure of faith that God has given us has been given to us for such a purpose as to live out our lives in a pleasing way. I'll give you another passage of scripture. and Now, this one is one that is worth thinking about because it's going to show you the importance of faith. I mean, uh, the priority of faith in our lives. It comes from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Romans 14, verse 23, it reads like this, For whatever is not of faith is sin. I mean, that basically divides everything into two categories. Everything you ever say, everything you ever think, everything you ever do into two categories. It's either faith or sin. Faith or sin. I mean, imagine being able to embrace this, and God's equipped us to do just that, to see the world in that kind of black and white, that kind of truth or lie, to see the world in faith or sin. I'm either saying this out of faith or it's sin. I'm either doing this out of faith or it's sin. I mean, it shows you the power of faith and, and that God has brought this into our life as a part of equipping us to be his children and, and expand his kingdom and resist all that, that would wage war against those things, it's really a powerful thing to consider. So a faith then is something that I want to, to look at in my life and, and I'd like for you to examine it in your life. We all have it. I mean, if you want to write that down in your notes, you can't. There's not a single person on the planet. doesn't matter if you're a Christian. doesn't matter if you're not a Christian. You've got faith. I'll, I'll give you the passage of Scripture that will testify to this out of Romans. Romans 12, 3. God has allotted to every person a measure of faith. Every person. I don't step into faith when I become a believer. Rather, it's been a part of me from the very start. It's woven into my being a measure of faith. And I think it's interesting that that's considered there a measure of faith. Now, it doesn't say that everyone has the same measure, but it also doesn't say that, that they're all different. It says a measure of faith. Now, I've met people, and I can tell you that I've met some people that have a tremendous amount of faith, and I've met others where it seemed to be a, a little lacking. But no doubt about it, every single person in one way, shape, or form has been allotted a measure of faith. And this is a good thing. I mean, it's a wonderful thing. In fact, when you read in the scripture, you'll see the disciples talking with Jesus and you'll see them on multiple occasions being put in a position where they find something tough. They just find it tough. And I mean, it doesn't matter if they saw something and they have a hard time wrapping their mind around it or if they experienced something and they're not really sure what to do. They were just in a spot where, where they just found it difficult. 
And Jesus would talk to them about faith, and then this would be their response to him. They would say, will you increase our faith? I mean, it's, it's in there. You'll find it multiple times. I mean, they've been in this spot. We don't know what to do about this. Will you increase our faith? And I want to tell you what's really awesome is that you never hear Jesus say no. You never hear him say, well, you either got it or you don't. And it tells me something about faith. It tells me that faith can be increased. It can grow. And it should be able to grow. When God describes faith, he describes it as a seed. I mean, Jesus described it as a tiny seed that is planted, and when it's planted and it's taken care of, it then grows and it grows and it becomes this tree that even provides housing for the birds of the air. Faith is meant to be tended to. That measure that we've been given is meant to be stewarded in such a way that it grows and multiplies. So then here's something to consider from the Scripture. I mean, if somebody's asking me to, how they can see their faith increase... I want to give him this passage of scripture. It just makes sense to me. Romans chapter 10, verse 17. So faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of God. I mean, when I read the scripture, when you read the scripture, when we get into the word together on on Sunday or or on any uh, time where we're together, it's meant to do something in us. It's meant to grow or activate our faith. So I need to find out what it is. I mean, what, what is faith? I mean, I can understand it's a priority. I need it. Uh, it's pleasing to God. It's something that God has given me that I'm meant to take care of. It's meant to grow. It's meant to increase in my life. It's what I use in order to resist the devil, to prevent being injured and have those injuries spread. I want to know what it is. I want to give you a definition of faith. I mean, like if you just took faith and you entered it into your web browser just looking for a definition, this would be one of the first to pop up. Complete trust or confidence in someone or something. And I got to tell you, I was kind of shocked when that popped up because that's a really great definition. And most of the time, the definitions that we get out of the English dictionaries are are left a little lacking compared to what we get out of a, a Bible dictionary or a concordance or something like that. But when we consider faith, I want to make sure that we have our, our thinking right. I mean, oftentimes when I hear pastors or preachers or, or Christians talk about faith, they're, they're talking about belief or believing. You know, well, you just need to have faith. You know, you just need to increase your faith. And, and it, really faith and believing are, are separate things. When you read that definition, a complete trust or confidence in I mean, a biblical definition is to put trust in. So, I mean, I've used an example before in the past, and it's kind of goofy, but I mean, like, I believe in elephants. I do, but, but I don't have faith in elephants. I don't put my trust in them. I don't think that elephants are going to, to deliver me or, or assist me or help raise me up, Right. And then here's something that you deal with when you deal with churches when it comes to faith and people are, are crying out for, for greater faith and stronger faith. They'll try then, when they equate faith with believing, they'll then try to believe harder, right? And that's a trap. I mean, you really just can't do it. I mean, you believe in elephants, right? Yeah. I want you to just take a moment and try to believe in them more. I mean, it, it, <laughs> what do you do? You just make a face like you're, it's real hard. I'm going to believe in elephants harder. That's, it's, it's a trap. You, you really have to have the thinking set straight, and we need to have a right understanding of what faith is. Faith means to put trust in. Now, there, there are plenty of things in my life that I do put trust in, and I can do that more. I cannot doubt it. I, can, I cannot uh, uh, have fear or concern that it won't live up to expectations. I can begin to lay down those anxieties, and I can begin to lean heavier on those things. And, and we do this all the time. I mean, there's a number of things in our lives where we're, we're walking in faith constantly. In fact, we, we really only think about it when, when there's a failure, you know, I mean, here's a great example, okay? And it's kind of a, a, a weak example, but, but just bear with me. I mean, think about your vehicle. Now, listen, I've driven some real winners, okay? I've had some cars before that we were praying over and anointing with oil about a quarter week, you know? I mean, I remember once, I still hear this today, 
uh, my wife was pregnant with our sons, our twins, and I remember she still brings up that I had her push the car while I was steering. It was really hard to steer with no power steering. And so I was trying to put those on the scales, which went, plus, I mean, carrying twins, you know, the steering wheel's right there. I, I thought I was being noble. The truth is now I still hear about it, you know. She's tough. So, so you know, this, this is a goofy example, okay? But, I mean, think about, like, you're, you're riding to church today. I went out to my vehicle, turned the key, it started. I never even thought about it. I didn't go out to my car. I wasn't thinking for a second, man, I hope it starts. I've had some of those, but, but not today. You know, I wasn't driving thinking, God, I hope my tires don't blow out. I've, I've had some of those. But, I mean, the, I never even thought about it. I had perfect faith, and I was putting my trust, and that car was going to fire right up, get me right here on time, no issues. But it's only when we really have an issue that we begin to realize, you know. I mean, so uh, when something goes wrong, then all of a sudden you realize how much faith you put in it in the first place. Well, as it concerns faith in God, I mean, there's a lot of things that God has called us to. When it concerns walking in, in faith as part of our daily lifestyle in order to extinguish those arrows that are on fire that are coming our way, there's a lot of things that God's called us to consider. And I want to consider some of those things uh, together. And one of those things is really what that faith is. And it's not belief, but it's trust. Not just believing that God exists. I mean, Satan believes, God, believes that God exists. The demons believe that God exists. But they don't surrender their lives to him. That faith is putting your trust in him. As we have faith in Jesus, we put our trust in Jesus that he will deliver, that he will sanctify, that he will protect, that he will provide. As we put our faith in God, we are putting all of our trust in God. It should be revealed and reflected in our lives, in our decisions, in our words, in our attitudes, in our actions. And by definition, biblical definition, that's faith. Let me give you a passage of scripture that confirms that. Hebrews chapter 11, I want to look at verse 1. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, now faith is, so I just stop right there. Consider that. Now faith is dot, dot, dot. You're about to get the, the definition of faith, or you're about to find out what faith is. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of those things not seen. Now this sounds like the world's worst fortune cookie to me when I first read it. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I, I can read it and I can think, well, that sounds nice, but what does that mean? I, I want to understand it. Well, to understand it, I personally have to go to the dictionary. You may not. You may have a vocabulary. You may be like my wife where you can win at Scrabble, you know, nine times out of ten. I'm still over there trying to spell cat and cow, you know, and just hoping that I get that triple letter score or else I'm toast, you know. But, but... For me, I have to go to the dictionary. Now, these are words that I use, but I don't know that I fully understand them. Substance and evidence. I want to read substance to you. If you go to the dictionary and you look up substance. By the way, a dictionary is one of the most uh, important tools to have in your library. I mean, we, we read the Bible. We study the Bible. Having a concordance is wonderful. It's basically a dictionary. And then a dictionary to understand the words that make up the word. How can you understand the Word of God if you don't know the words that make up the Word of God? It's going to be a challenge. So when we go to the dictionary, we look up the word substance. Here's a definition for substance. The real physical matter of which a person or thing consists of, it has tangible, solid presence. Tangible means like this table is not just an idea. It's not just kind of something that we we believe is there, rather it's really here. You can feel it, you could put it on a scale and weigh it, you could measure it, you can, you can touch it. Tangible. And then evidence. When you look up the word evidence, the available body of facts or information indicating whether something is true or valid. It actually is not just something, by definition, indicating whether a belief is true or valid. Remember, lots of us as believers 
just substitute belief and faith. We, we interchange them. But faith is there to verify or con- confirm that a belief is real. And if we're stuck just with the belief, but we have no proof of the belief, then we're in trouble. The substance and the evidence of what that belief is, is what faith is. I believe that Jesus is my king, therefore the substance or the evidence of that needs to be me doing what he says and not what I say. If I do what I say, then I'm my king. He's not my king, I'm my king. My faith is measured in that evidence, in that substance that is backing up my belief. The evidence in the substance that is backing up or confirming or testifying in favor of your belief. So here's a little bit of a faith test. I'm going to read through some things very quickly, okay? I mean, I told you before we're going to find out two questions that need to be asked. Uh, They're going to exist in this passage of Scripture. We use this passage of Scripture a lot. it's, It's something that we've used in other messages, so it may sound very familiar to you. But I want to turn to it for what we're looking at today as it concerns faith. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 4. I want to kind of set it up for you. I mean, Jesus has just really put together one showstopper of a service. I mean, he preached, people came that had needs, he met their needs, people were sick and they got healed. It's the most incredible thing that the the, the people had witnessed ever. It was was an incredibly exciting time. And then that service comes to a close. I mean, it, it ended. And when it ended, they they moved on to go to another place to do it all over again. So here in Mark chapter 4, we begin reading in verse 35, and it said, On that day when evening had come, Jesus said, Hey, let's go over to the other side. And they left this crowd, and they got into the boat. And as they got into the boats and got onto the sea, it says there arose a fierce gale of wind and waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was filling up with water. Jesus himself was on the stern of the boat asleep on a cushion. And they woke him up and they said, "Uh, teacher, don't you care that we're perishing? Now, I mean, that's a classy way to write it, you know. I mean, these guys are freaking out. They're yelling at Jesus, don't you care? We're dying here. It goes on to say that uh, Jesus uh, got up and as he heard their request, he, he woke and he came too. I want to tell you what he said, but I want to pause there for a second. Because I, I hear this story and it's almost funny. You know, you read it and it's kind of comical. But then there's this little conviction. It's inside of me right about here where I feel it and I think, that's me. You know, where, where I, I've been there where everything was going great. Everything was incredible. God is good and life is great. And everything that I put my hand to is just prospering and wow, it just doesn't get any better. And then all of a sudden, circumstances change and it's God, where the hell are you? I mean, I said that for the shock value on purpose. It's a complete change of attitude. It's a complete and total change of heart. And it's me being transparent because you're just thinking, you've got to be kidding me. These guys, I read this, and it becomes something that we could even poke fun at in church, but the reality is this is an example that explains my life. Everything's going the way that I think it should, and so God is good, and then the moment things don't go the way it should, all of a sudden God's abandoned me, and he doesn't care that I'm dying. That's a pretty extreme swing. So Jesus responds to this extreme swing that I think we can all relate to, and he says this, He gets up and he rebukes the wind and he rebukes the sea. He says, hush and be still. And the wind dies down and and the sea becomes calm. And then he turns and he looks at those who, who had this extreme swing, this kind of spiritual bipolar disorder, where they went from, wow, church was great today, to, wow, God doesn't care whether we live or die. After dealing with the storm, after dealing with the circumstance or the situation, he then turns to to the believers. Now, I want you to consider he's turning to me. I mean, he's turning to you. And he asks these questions. These are two questions that I think we need to ask. He turns and he asks, why are you afraid? That's question number one. Why are you afraid? I mean, these are questions that that I got to just be honest with you. I ask myself. 
I'll be in a bind or a situation or there'll be something that turns things upside down, you know, whether it's physical or financial or any aspect of my life. And I'll literally ask these questions to myself. Why, why am I afraid? And then the second question follows it immediately. How is it that you have no faith? Those are two excellent questions to ask yourself in any situation or circumstance. When there's a shift in, in, in circumstances, just like these, this example that we see here, where really the only thing that changed is something that changes all the time, the weather. And all of a sudden, people's hearts went from God is good and he is for us to God has abandoned us and we're going to die. We suffer these same swings ourselves, and these two questions are the questions that Jesus asks in response to those swings. Why are you afraid, and how is it that you don't have any faith? So uh, as we consider these things, I want us to consider the power of faith, what it means. It's not just believing in. I think if we're stuck with just believing that Jesus exists, then we're going to suffer those swings every time the weather changes. Every time that there's a conflict in our relationship, we're out. Every time that there's difficulty in our finances, we're toast. Every time that there's resistance to things moving in the direction that we thought they were supposed to be, God's abandoned us. So what Jesus is asking here is, how is it that you guys just quit trusting in me like that? You, you, you bring sick people to me and they get healed. You trust me with that. You, you bring all of these hungry people to me and they're fed. You trust me with that. But then all of a sudden this comes up and you stop trusting me. I need to ask myself those questions when I'm dealing with things. How, why is it that I'm afraid? And how is it that I've stopped trusting Jesus? Now, if I just read that and I say, how is it that I have no faith? It sounds a little religious. But if I ask myself, how have I stopped trusting Jesus? Then that one kind of hits closer to home. I want to talk about uh, that faith and why it, it produces what it produces. I want to offer this to you as a thought, and I want to give you a passage of Scripture to back it up. I, I believe that faith is the gateway to grace. I mean, the grace that you need in a situation, the grace that you need in a circumstance, the, the, that need. I mean, obviously, as soon as people turned to Jesus and woke him up, as soon as people turned to him and said, hey, we got a problem here, he stood up and he dealt with it. That grace that we all need in part in our lives, I believe, comes through that gateway of faith. Do we turn to Jesus? I'll give you a passage of Scripture out of Ephesians, Ephesians 2.8. Ephesians 2.8, now it's speaking of, of being born again and the salvation that we receive in Jesus, but I want you to consider what's being spoken here and just apply it universally. Ephesians 2.8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. By grace you have been saved through faith. That statement reveals that it is the grace that brings about the saving but that the grace that brings about the saving comes through faith. By grace, you have been saved through faith. I find myself often in desperate need of the grace of God to bring saving into different situations. I have needed the grace of God to save my marriage. I have needed the grace of God to save a, a, a business transaction. I have needed the grace of God to save my sanity. I have needed the grace of God to save me on, on countless occasions. And it is the grace that brings about that saving, but according to this passage, it comes through something. And I want us to consider that it's faith that is the gateway for grace. Faith not being believing that Jesus exists, but faith being putting your trust in him. As we begin to, to get to the, the close here, I want to share a, a, a passage of Scripture. It's an element of history that's recorded so that we can receive from it and learn from it out of the Gospel of Luke chapter 7. It's where Jesus acknowledges effective and powerful faith. I mean, we, we use words like great faith is, is what's recorded in the Scripture here. I want to offer this to you quickly. I'll read through it and we'll paraphrase parts of it. Jesus has been speaking. He's been 
uh, ministering and, and people are aware of, of the words that he's preaching and, and the effects of the ministry and, and they, they're aware of the wonderful things that are going on. It begins like this in Luke chapter 7. When, when Jesus had completed speaking and hearing and, and all, all the people had heard him, he went to a city called Capernaum. And a Roman soldier had one in his home who was like a son to him. He'd fallen sick and was about to die. When he heard that Jesus was near, he sent the uh, Jewish elders to Jesus, saying, my son, the one who's like a son to me, my servant, is sick. And when Jesus came, when they came to Jesus, excuse me, they earnestly implored him, saying, this man is a worthy man. This man has helped us build our synagogue. He loves our nation. They, they said, this is a man who has trusted and believed. And then Jesus gives a response. He begins to respond in his actions. He goes to the man. And as he's on his way, servants come out. And they said, for this reason, we don't even consider ourselves worthy for you to come into the house. But just say the word and the man will be healed. Now, this is the soldier again speaking, and I want you to catch this in verse 8. The soldier says, For I also am a man placed under authority, and I have soldiers under my authority. I say to one, go, and he goes. I say to another, come, and he comes. I say, do this, and it's done. Now, Jesus heard the words of this soldier, and he says something really powerful, and I want us to consider this as we consider faith in our lives. Jesus hears this statement, and it says that he marveled. I mean, that's a really powerful thing. I mean, here's Jesus in, in all of, of his wisdom and all of his understanding and, and all of, of the glory that is the anointing that's upon his life through the Holy Spirit, and he stands there and he marvels at the statement of this soldier, and he turns to the crowd that was following him, and he says these words, I say to you this, throughout all of Israel, I have not found such great faith as this one. I mean, that's an interesting thing. Now, the end of that story is a really wonderful result. The, the, the sick boy is, is recovered, he's healed, it's miraculous, and, and glory be to God there. But I want us to look at what was said and what Jesus' response is. Because I grew up in church circles where having great faith meant really believing in, in God. But what I see here is something altogether different. I mean, this, this soldier, as he's talking about uh, how he sees things, he never even uses the word believe. He talks about authority. I mean, really, that's what he talks about. He says, listen, uh, Jesus, you don't even have to come to my house. I understand. I'm one who's under authority, and I have some under my authority. I tell them what to do, and they do it. I say go, they go. I say do, and it's done. He talked about authority. And Jesus hears a man speak about having a good understanding as it concerns authority, and he turns to a crowd, and he acknowledges the man's faith. I've never seen such great faith. I mean, this is eye-opening to me, and I hope it is to you, that, that our understanding of heavenly authority and the authority that God has made available to us by making Jesus our king, which is an authority figure, is a really big deal as it concerns our faith. And our faith being our ability to resist the oppression against us by the evil one who's attempting to send his fiery arrows our way. I'll give you a couple of passages of scripture and we will, we will close with these. But John chapter 5 verse 19 is one of a number of accounts. If you're taking notes, John 5 19. But it's one of numerous accounts where Jesus identifies something really amazing. Now, if we were just to kind of poll the room and say, how many of you are aware that Jesus Christ uh, preaches the truth and that he walks in the power of God and, and there's signs and the wonders and all the wonderful things are real? I mean, you would agree. Hands would go up. Yes, I believe that. I agree with that. And then I have to just stop and ask myself, why? Not why do you believe, but why is that true? 
Why is it that everything that Jesus is bringing is this powerful, uh, has this powerful effect on the earth in our lives? And Jesus talks about this, and it, it's not hidden. It's, it's right in plain sight. John chapter 5, verse 19, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, I can't do anything by myself. Unless it's something that I see the Father doing, Whatever the Father does, these are the things that the Son does in like manner. He's identifying himself as this, having this father-son relationship. That is a relationship that very much involves authority. He's placing himself under the leadership and the care of the Father, and he's saying, I'm going to follow his instructions, his example. What he says, I'll speak. What he does, I'll do. He's basically saying the same thing that this soldier said to him when he turned to a crowd and said, I've never seen such faith. He speaks of his relationship as a relationship where authority exists, father and son, and identifies that he follows the instructions of the one under whose authority he walks. This is meant to be an example for me and you. As we have Jesus established in our life as our king, as we walk in his authority, we can trust and we can and understand that we'll walk in the faith that leads to victory, that faith that we've been equipped with in our everyday life to prevent injury to us and those around us. I want to give you this passage of scripture as we close. I told you before we'd find out what Jesus has a monopoly on. What Jesus has a monopoly on. I'll give you the passage of scripture. Matthew chapter 28, I want to look at verse 18. Matthew 28, verse 18. Jesus is speaking and he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. When we come into an understanding of, of what great faith means, great faith means walking under that authority, understanding and knowing that Jesus Christ is our King, that all authority has been given to Him. That we can look to him and trust him to make provision, to keep his word. To impart into our life all that we need to do the things that he's called us to do. When we come into that understanding, I think it's then that we're equipped to walk in the faith that God's called us to walk in. It's then that we can take up that shield of faith that allows us to advance without constantly having injury and setback. And it's then that we can walk in a life that's free from that inconsistency. I refer to it as that spiritual bipolar disorder of one day, thank you, Jesus, and the next day, where are you, Jesus? Don't you care? I'm dying. And when we have that consistency, when we have that stability, we're able to actually move forward, to take ground and to advance, and that's what we've been called to do. I want to ask you to stand with me this morning. I want to trust and believe for God to do something great in our lives. I want to acknowledge that there's a need in each one of us to, to step into those things that God would call us to. That the application of that armor that God has equipped us with is not something that is just done one time, but rather it is a daily thing. It is a lifestyle. And I want to ask God to stir in us a right understanding of faith that we wouldn't be bound by or limited to simply believing that God exists, but that we would be released into knowing that he has all authority and we can trust him. We can place all of our fears, all of our doubts, all of our worries, all of our cares in his hands, and he will make good on his word to raise us up, to see us through, to make provision, to bring victory. There where you stand, I want to pray for you and me too and trust for God to do something great. Father, we bless your name and we thank you for the word. We thank you that you would equip us with all that we need for victory. We ask, Father, in Jesus' name for your word to have a powerful effect on our lives. Where we once simply believed, let us now put our trust in you. Let there be an awareness and an understanding that all authority belongs to Jesus Christ. And give us the courage and the strength 
to put trust in that truth. That when situations and circumstances around us change, that we could stay consistent. That we could remain. We give you thanks that you've shown and proved that you love, that you care, that you won't leave or forget about us. Let that be revealed and reflected in our decisions and in our words and our attitudes and our actions. And let faith no longer be something that we respond with, but let it be something that we live with in our everyday choices and decisions. That faith would be out in front and that truly it would be a shield to our lives. Trusting, believing, knowing that Jesus is Lord, that He's King and that He will never be removed from His throne. And let this wonderful effect be played out in our lives in such a way that there would be signs and wonders, powerful effect in every aspect of our living. Let the wonders and the promise of faith be lived out in every single one of our relationships, in all of our endeavors, and let it be in such a way that you would receive honor and glory. We bless your name. We trust in you. And we ask that as we take up the shield of faith, that we would continue to advance together by your spirit, being pleasing in your sight and carrying out your will. We give you thanks and rejoice in you in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declared, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.